Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia. Now the show has two very distinct types of episodes. The first are our deep dive interviews with leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. And the other type of show I produce is the Iconic Albums series. And for that I am joined by my friends Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica, two professional musicians that are just a great hang and we talk about some of the most influential guitar records in our collection. Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, the ex-head of guitar at the world-famous Guitar Institute of Technology in LA and the McNally Smith College of Music. Not only is Joe a world-class educator, he's a fantastic guitar player. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, welcome to Iconic Albums number 17. I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes. Hey Matt, hey Gabor. And Gabor Jessica. Hey Rob, hey Matt. And in Iconic Albums, we choose some of the most influential and iconic records from our collections and we talk all about them. Gabor, it's over to you this week. What have you got for us? So I uh, thought... uh I'll bring one of my favorite albums from the 90s along, uh, which is Purple by Stone Temple Pilots. So it was uh, Stone Temple Pilots' second studio album, released on June 7, 1994. Um, It was recorded, uh, well, it was actually recorded very quickly, but over a large, long time frame. So it was recorded between May 1993 and March 1994. so they did. They recorded one track, "Big Empty," on May twenty fifth, uh, nineteen ninety three, at the record plant in LA, uh, or the the bass tracks for it anyway. The, the, the you know the, the scratch tracks or whatever you want to call it. Um, they recorded uh, "Loungefly," the song "Loungefly," on July twelfth, nineteen ninety three, at Paisley Park, at Prince's Studio, nice. in Minneapolis, and then the rest was recorded at Southern Tracks in Atlanta, uh, and it was tracked in in eleven days and mixed in two weeks. So it was done very, very quickly. Wow, cool. Uh, and uh, during March 1994, so a, a year later almost after the first two. But um, basically, I think they started recording and then the first album really blew up and got really big and they started doing massive tours and that sort of interrupted everything, uh, which is uh, core, the first album. Um, so the album was produced by uh, Brendan O'Brien and it was recorded at Brendan O'Brien's studio, uh, Southern Tracks in Atlanta at the time. And Brendan O'Brien... Um, also worked with uh, Stone Temple Pilots and Core. Uh, we also talked about him before because he engineered uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic uh, by Chili Peppers. Okay, yeah. But I mean, he if you look through his his um, sort of history of bands he worked with, I mean, he worked with ACDC, Pearl Jam, Bob Dylan, Rage Against the Machine, Bruce Springsteen, Black Crows, Aerosmith, Soundgarden, Neil Young, Limp Bizkit, Corn Train, Audio Slave, Velvet Revolver, The Killer, Mastodon, and so on and so on. I mean, massive, massive. 
I think a lot of people call him it uh, called him sort of one of the '90s alternative uh, engineers and uh, producers. Okay. So he he did a lot of the '90s albums, big '90s albums. Um, and one of the, one of the reasons why it was recorded so fast, and it's funny, uh, I, I watched a bunch of interviews by different artists about Brendan O'Brien. Uh, he's very fast paced. Uh, and he gets very bored and loses interest very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I read that. He's like a little, a, a lot of people say he's like a little kid who just goes from one thing to the next and he just gets bored and tired of things. So um, usually what he gets people, to, the bands to do is he gets them to bring their live rig in uh-huh. and he sets up a vocal PA in a studio and they do it all kind of live in, you know, he wants to ca- capture that sort of live vibe. So that's sort of why 11 days to record an, an entire album with, I think, 13 tracks? 11 tracks, sorry. Plus some outtakes and stuff like that. So pretty, you know, for nowadays, pretty impressive to do yeah, that sort yeah. of. Um, it was also engineered by Nick Didia. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. D-I-D-I-A. Uh, who worked at, uh, who was kind of the engineer at... Um, uh, Southern Tracks in Atlanta with Brendan O'Brien for a long time. So they worked on a lot of um, the same albums. But he actually later moved to Byron Bay uh, and engineered a lot of Australian bands like Carnival, Katie Noonan, Casey Chambers, Living End, Powderfinger. So he, he moved, in, I think he currently lives in Australia. Okay, cool. So um, Would that be at 301 or... Um, possibly. Rocking Horse, some of those places? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It just said he moved to Byron Bay. Yeah, and cool. I haven't looked up where... Um, you know, Katie Noonan and Casey Chambers and Living End and Powderfinger yeah, recorded, sure. but yeah, um, somewhere in Byron Bay. Uh, you'd know, that's your neck of the woods, Rob. Well, yeah, but I'm sort of not in that circle. Like, obviously, um, the SAE is one of the biggest studios in the world there at Byron Bay. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. I of don't the SAE. think, yeah. yeah, I don't think a lot of the big bands record there, but there are like a ton of little ones. Like, there's the yeah. River Studio now that. Um, Jeff Martin owns, like he bought recently, uh, and uh, there is a there's a few really top notch recording studios in Byron. Uh, even Andrew Stockdale had one for a while, but that's mm-hmm. kind of, he's I think he's out of that now. Okay, but yeah, there's there's some beautiful studios there. I yeah. worked in one called Rocking Horse, which was awesome, oh. man. And George had done some stuff there. You know, Katie Noonan's yeah. first band. Um, so yeah. We we played. We I remember we used to play some gigs back in the days in Brisbane with George. They had a, a cellist as well back in those oh, days. Oh wow, that was so um, great, man. They were a great band. Yeah, before uh, this is before they kind of got big. This yeah. is when they sort of you know played gigs with small bands like us. But and I see Ty, Tyrone <laughs> Noonan. We sort of play a lot of the same solo gigs around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know the Gold Coast and wow. that sort of thing. So here, yeah, Brisbane. So he's still out there playing and, his trade. And Katie lives. Almost around a corner from me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her kids went to the same school as my kids. So. There you go. <laughs> I used to always see. Her. It's funny though, because like, we used to always see her around, and she drove this little. Um, I mean, because she, yet now she's got the shorter um, blonde hair, but she used to have you know the big long red hair. Yeah, yeah. And she drove a little convertible red car, <laughs> uh, and the the uh, number plate was K T NU. Nice. You'd think you'd want to be a little bit more, you know, incognito. No, she had, I like she's she's Katie um, yeah, <laughs> she she's very politically active, very out. So I wouldn't be surprised, yeah, that she because yeah, you could just find her from miles away, little sporty red car convertible yeah, yeah. with the big red hair flying, 
and Katie New. Anyway. Good. <laughs> Love it. Sidetrack. So, uh, 94, Stone Temple Pilots, the grunge era. Uh, Matt, you look like a grunge kind of guy to me. Uh, what, 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 did you, did you get into Stone Temple Pilots much or? Yeah, I, well, for starters, I had outstanding hair in 1994. <laughs> I had great, I, I could, I fit in the whole grunge thing. Um, man, I loved grunge. Outstanding hair. That's, I don't think anyone's ever, I've never <laughs> ever heard anyone say that they had outstanding hair. <laughs> I had heaps of hair. Anyway, um, <laughs> But yeah, good for headbanging. That's that's my point. The um, okay. The yeah, I love the whole grunge thing. I I I mean, I grew up loving. We've already talked about lots of power pop. Um, got into the whole hair metal thing. There's some more hair yeah. for you. Um, <laughs> but when grunge hit, I, I love the immediacy. I love the that guitars. Um, as much as I love the shredding, the just the really simple kind of hooky things I was starting to hear. More sort of guitar parts rather than yeah, just a pretty boring song with a really exciting eight-bar solo. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, although there's plenty of you know wild stuff on this STP record from from both guitar yeah, players. Well, they actually uh, were really not into being categorised as grunge. They really didn't like that. Yeah. I was, um, again, I was thinking about that today. I mean, who wanted to be called grunge, and what was it really outside of? That first Nirvana yeah. record, to me, this just, just sounds like a great '90s rock record. Yeah, isn't it just the industry wants to put yeah, like a square also. peg yeah. in a square hole and yeah. go, "You're this and you're that," because if it, they don't fit in something, it makes no sense, and yeah. they don't know how to describe it. Yeah, you know? people in suits need to know that. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and like Seattle, they ran out of bands in Seattle to sign. Like it just ran dry. The, the whole city. Yeah. Yeah, every band got signed. Everyone got yeah, signed yeah, yeah. by ninety five. But to to answer your question, STP, I didn't really know a lot about them outside of the, the singles and the hits. I mean I've played okay. Interstate Love Song and, and Vaseline on, on gigs and um had a great time <laughs> learning those tunes, man. Um yeah, yeah. but yeah, outside of the, the hits. Uh so this is the first STP record I've I've listened oh, cool, uh, front cool, to back. Cool. What about you, Rob? I, I reckon when they broke, Plush was everywhere and I absolutely loved that song. And then MTV Unplugged, which is where they debuted Big Empty. That's, is, that's a great unplugged too. That's yeah. a really, really good unplugged. And so I was right into them then, but I don't think I bought a record until years later. Okay. So, so 94 when this came out, I worked. I was working in a pub. I was 18 and the jukebox was always up to date. So we would... I just take myself back to that time when I was just loading dollar yeah. coins into the jukebox mm-hmm. for my whole shift. So I basically control the music. And uh, so it was it was plush and it was Interstate Love Song and it was um, Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. So we would mm. all that um, black and Black Hole Sun, Spoon Man, yeah. like all that era of grunge. Like I, w- I didn't buy it because I was just always you listening were always to it at work. It anyway, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And years later, then I went back and got the whole uh, STP back catalogue. Yeah. So I've got Core and Purple and f- is it Four? And what's the one with Sour Girl? Then that. Um, oh, that's the one was it? Yeah. Uh, what, there was a Tiny, tiny Music. Tiny music was, yeah. That's a really good album actually too. Yeah. So um, I've got them all, band. and I've been I've followed Scott Wyland quite a lot like through 
great, you know, great singer. Such Velvet a great Revolver and um, even his solo stuff. It's a it's one of those tragic stories where he was introduced to something that just and it all happened took him during the recording of this. Yeah. Yeah, or just prior to the recording. Because what was the band that? Butthole Surfers. That's who introduced they did a him massive to the tour with Butthole Surfers. Big H. And actually, the um, uh, the guitarist at Butthole Surfers does a solo on his album too. But they introduced Scott to um, things that sort of stuck with him, and he never could kind of get rid of. Sadly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, what I mean, what a frontman, what a singer, just such a great singer and frontman. Um, yeah, shame all this stuff. But uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, okay, where was it? Okay. Um, oh, yeah, so kind of going back to, to what you were saying as well. So so uh, the press gave Stone Temple Pilots quite a hard time, actually, because they sort of, and the whole classification with grunge that they hated, and they sort of considered them uh, to be like a one-trick pony, and they're just riding the coattails of the grunge movement. Um, so with the second album, with this album, they really wanted to do something a bit different and show that there was more to them than just just that. And I think they, they really um, kind of delivered. Um, so the album, when it came out, uh, it uh, came out on number one, debuted at number one. And in the first four months alone, it sold three million copies. Uh, the first single, Vaseline, was number one in the charts for two weeks. Uh, and then was replaced by Interstate Love Song, wow. Love Song <laughs> wow. which was uh, on uh, was which stayed in the US uh, charts uh, on number one for fifteen consecutive weeks. Uh, so that's seventeen consecutive weeks that Stone Temple Pilots were number one on the uh, the singles charts, which was a record at the time. So they broke the record for the most consecutive weeks on number one in America. Um, uh, yeah, I just wrote down, I, I really love the whole sound of this album. And I think, um, uh, again, uh, recently through, and I think I mentioned this um, uh, before, through a lot of YouTube stuff and a lot of interviews, I've been really getting into uh, producers and engineers of albums and listening to interviews and how what, you know, what their thoughts are and actually looking at albums I like and who produced it and who engineered it. And uh, I... I have to say I'm I am a fan of Brendan O'Brien and uh, he has a certain sound and I think I really really like it the drums always sound killer on his albums he's apparently a really really good guitar player like a virtuoso kind of child wow. prodigy guitar player Brendan O'Brien um, and he's really keen on getting the guitars to sound really right the bass sound a killer on his it's album. funny you say that because I watched a Stone Temple Pilots interview where they were talking about the recording of this and they said, you know, Brendan O'Brien's been asked, what um, what microphone did you use on the guitar oh, amp? And he goes, one whichever one was closest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's very, that's the thing, he's very fast-paced and he just yeah, has yeah. whatever's in front of him he uses. And, and But actually quite interestingly as well, um, so, and we'll get into that later on with the gear, which is holy moly, that's a big story. Uh, that'll be after the, the commercial break. But... Um, <laughs> Um, Commercial break too. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Um, okay, so, so uh, songs. So there were three singles: "Big Empty," "Vaseline," and "Interstate Love Song." Mm-hmm. So standout tracks. Uh, let's start with you, Rob. Um, well, I've I've in bands over the years. I've played "Interstate Love Song," "Vaseline," and "Unglued." Okay, oh, that's a cool um, song. Unglued. So great to yeah. play live. Um, but like, one thing I really love about um, and we, I sort of touched on it, but the thing that makes 
something that if you took the music sounds identifiable, but Scott Whalen's phrasing mm. and how he delivers then takes it away. And um, and it for me, I, I always kind of pull away from music that drugs are at the centre of it. So the lyrically, you know, there's a lot of drug references and, and whatever, even if it's veiled or thinly veiled. Um, but I find that his delivery of it supersedes mm. the meaning of the lyrics. So mm. it kind of pulls me in. But um, so lounge fly to me, I love the, the slide on the intro and how those guitars are laid and then come to a stop and then it goes again. You just, <laughs> it just leaves you wanting to yeah. hear more. I love that it's magic. Yeah, yeah. I still remains. I hear Led Zeppelin yeah, so absolutely. hardcore through that. The physical graffiti, House of the Holy era, Led Zeppelin. There's a Zeppelin. few tracks on this album that are very Led Zeppelin. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's the chord voicings. But again, like Scott's contribution kind of moves it away from yeah. that, makes it a bit more contemporary. And yeah. even though there's a, you can pick up the odd plantism yeah. in there, yeah. he really is able to take the song away from it being too identifiable that way. Uh, I think he, his, his melodies are really, really, really good. Like mm. he's, he's really good at... at um, he's at like snakes of, them yeah. around the progression, so he's, he's not following yeah. the, the guitars or the rhythm. He kind of snakes things around. Because I think a lot of their songs, and especially once you get into the, what chord voicings they use and stuff, which is, is insane stuff yeah, they use, yeah. for like pop rock sounding songs... The, like what the actually the chord voicings are, uh, but I think it would be quite hard to sing over that and mm. to find. I think it was hard for him to do it at times too. Probably like, would have been I've seen, I've seen him live, and yeah, he struggles sometimes. I think, and I you think, know what that's why that is. Yeah, well, there was yeah, there was <laughs> well, the, skirt around. You, you could it. tell as time went on as well. You know how skinny he got, and yeah. you could see the sort of drugs took over. And there's a lot of interviews actually on YouTube with the Delia brothers where they talk about that where. You know, he was sort of, and in the end, I mean, they fired him before he died because he just, you know, he would not come to studios and, and send in recordings of, of vocals and they were not really very good mm. and out of, t- out of tune. And, um, yeah, so anyway, I mean, that's a, that's a sort of different story. But uh, yeah. sorry, back, back to favourite songs. Actually, um, a great Australian guitarist, Nick Mabry, was in his band when he passed. You know, oh, they were on tour at the time, yeah. What so, band was that? Um, just... That was Whalen's solo. Oh, just his solo thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Back to songs. Silver Gun Superman. I love that nasally riff at the beginning. It's kind of like the it's not really thing. a half cocked word. Kind of sounds no, like that, no, but no, yeah, no, no. that's no. great. Yeah. And I love how it goes into complete chaos at the end. Yes. You know, yeah. try and put that on the grid. You know. <laughs> well, I think I think uh, uh, um, if you listen to a lot of that stuff, you can tell it's pre grid yeah. because it's there's a lot of these sort of stops and then quite often and i think again like led zeppelin the choruses will kind of the drama will push a bit and the, it'll that's speed good. up a little bit i love and that it's feel yeah it's yeah fine. It's yeah, yeah. any hendrix uh, record man that's it's so special i love that too yeah and sometimes i think those old studios were on a downhill slope so you know <laughs> tend to I, speed up I, I mean totally unrelated i kind of briefly <laughs> played in a in a, a like a, a women of rock tribute band and we did a bunch of Janis Joplin stuff. And when you actually listen to it, God, that goes in. The time is just all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was related to other, you know, external forces. Yeah, and you, you <laughs> find of. that. So um, I've been getting into just getting some backing tracks. 
and learning some songs through backing tracks and that karaoke site where you can mix your own tracks, because mm -hmm. the, they play along to the original track, I don't use the click. I just kind of set it up so I know where it's going to come in. But when when you read the comments for that site, it's like, why can't you get the click in time? Stop playing along to the record <laughs> and play to the click. And I'm like, no, I love that it That's moves around yeah, and it's yeah, got a yeah, human yeah. feel, you yeah, know. Yeah. That's what separates them from those MIDI tracks, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Big Empty was always my favourite song on the record. And on revisiting it this week, um, that hasn't really changed. That's a killer song. Um, I love the Dobro slide, um, that late the laid back verse into the big, you know, layered choruses. Uh, at that's always going to be a winner for yeah. me every yeah. time. And Unglued just slams along. Um, it's my pick of the rockers on the album. And as much as I love Vaseline and have played that and love playing it, I just think Unglued is is a better song and that may be just because I've been Vaseline's been oversaturated been commercially done, yeah. Yeah. and this one still sounds really fresh I love the guitar solo in Unglued yeah. it's so dissonant and all over the place it gets unhinged it. man is that the butthole surfers guy um, he played on uh, mum, 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 mum. oh god I've wrote it down somewhere um, While he's finding it, I actually thought when Gabor says he writes it down that he was going through handwritten notes. Yeah, on the, side here. the outro solo to Loungefly is the Battle Service guy. But he's not. He's scrolling on an iPad just through everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always like thought he scribed them too. I don't know why. Yeah, so I know. It's on my here in person. I can uh, see it's not. It's, it's a tablet. IPad. It's an iPad. A bit disappointed, actually. Yeah. I wanted to see a full scap, you know, like. <laughs> Hey, there you go. Yeah, you're doing it all Matt's school. Got it. He's doing it all school. Yeah. <laughs> now, before, just for, I just did it for today. Usually, actually, I actually I chisel it into, um, into rock. Usually, but <laughs> yeah. No, the, uh, Paul Leary is the guy. Paul Leary, that's the, the guy. Outro yeah. solo for Loungefly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, Matt, favorite songs? Yeah, well, just, I mean, just continuing with that unglued, yeah, that whole solo is just, it's unhinged, man. I, it's, I, it is, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I loved I love it. That, sort of that was cool. Um, Silver Gun Superman, yeah, the fuzzy riffs and and that cocktail thing and the band just imploding at the end. Um, uh, maybe they said this will be a fade out and then the drummer just had enough and goes, all right, that'll do. And then they kept it, <laughs> which is yeah. great. Yeah. Um, I love Interstate Love Song. I know it's... Oh, it's, it's such a good song. It's an incredible song. It's just brilliantly written and... Um, and those chords, I mean, everyone played it wrong at first in the 90s. Yeah. But that, 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 that third and fourth chord in a verse, I mean... Oh, yeah. That I don't even know what it is. What What is it? It's like a... It's like a sixth chord or something like that. And then it goes to a, a B something rather. And then it goes to a, a B flat... Minus seven flat five, but the the second last chord, it's 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 a it's just such cool voicings, chord voicings, and how it kind of fits the melody over it because it's such a yeah. dissonant sounding chord, and then fitting the vocal melody over it. There's actually a really great um, Rick Beato um, video about great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, about Interstate Love Song. Oh wow, that'd be and cool. Where he goes and he actually looks at what he sings and he goes, it's such an unusual. It sounds like such a pop pop rock track yeah but his melody is actually quite unusual um because it has to be because of the chords 
it's weird when you play and sing it, so you don't really give it much thought. Like yeah. it's second nature to me because I Cause occasionally still do it so in the solo oh, like, yeah, acoustic, awesome. and you just you don't even really think about it. But yeah, if you don't concentrate, you can go off <laughs> a little bit. You know, your intonation can fly off there. Yeah, because it's such a dissonant chord. It's yeah. they do some really dense voicings, like you mentioned the voicings before, which is yeah. really yeah. really interesting. Um, and, uh, and the, the funny thing is, uh, I've read interviews with them, and they're not necessarily massively like theory heads. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dean isn't. Apparently, Rob, like all of those chord voicings, that's Robert. That's Robert. DeLeo yeah. that does it, and but, they took that from. I think it's the the one I made a note about. Um, the Interstate Love Song is basically their bossa nova chords. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, okay. But, but then a lot of it is just, I think I read some interviews with Dean Lee as well, so just saying I just kind you of put hear my it. fingers somewhere. Yeah. And you just yeah, you know, you okay. kind of hear a chord and you just find it. Nice. Um, so it's, it's interesting, yeah. I love it's, that. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned the melodic stuff as well, same as you guys. The whole album is super strong melodically. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I think... I don't know if it's just me. It's I don't think it, maybe it's my my bent, but I I the nineties rock I really love. There's always really strong melody. It seemed like melody became a big deal again for yeah. uh, for rock, which um mm. which is a cool thing. Which is a really cool thing. Even I mean even the Nirvana. Um, why was it so big? It was so catchy, man. It was so yeah. The melodic. Are you stuff. saying Unskinny Bop didn't have melody? <laughs> <laughs> I think I am. I think I am. Oh, okay. All right. I'm trying to remember we're, the song. Drawing a line in the sand. Well, I remember. Know, the, first <laughs> I remember the film clip. I don't remember the tune. What's so got you so jumpy? Okay, we can't. I can't. I cannot sing a poison song during a Stone Temple Pilots episode. That's wrong. I'm going to be shouted off the airwaves. Sorry, Delios. Hey, hey. I've, I've, I've just, just, yeah. My, my previous, some previous podcasts. Well, yeah. Anyway, let's not talk about me. <laughs> um, Vaseline's awesome. That that riff is so uh, propulsive. It just keeps churning out. It's great. And again, that so super dissonant first chord. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, what is it like a uh, like a thirteen sharp eleven or something like that or whatever it is, something like that. It's just a bizarre chord and just so dissonant. But it fits. I mean, tonally they make those chords work though, which I guess that's it. We'll mm. talk about gear, but. Yeah, yeah. They're obviously pulling tones, and they want to hear all these these voicings. So, yeah, it's very yeah. very cleverly done. Um, the the secret track. Did you guys see the secret track? The second album. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Twelve gracious melodies. I yeah. love that. I mean, on on <laughs> when you stream it, they've got to warn you there's a secret track coming. I guess, um, but it was still fun when it turned up. Yeah. And um, that was, that was I'd almost forgotten, and then I saw like there was two and a half, three three minutes left on the last track on Spotify, and then it actually switches and tells you that it's the hidden track hidden on Spotify. It's quite interesting. <laughs> Technology, man. Tech- yeah, it was it was sung by a musician who was who so happened to be in a studio called Richard Peterson, <laughs> and he sang it, and it was like a takeoff on. A lot of other stuff that was kind of a lot. Uh, it was a, t- uh, a takeoff on other hidden tracks on other albums. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I was ho- hoping you were going to say Frank Bennett, but um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Frank Bennett, yeah, but it was, it was meant to be, uh, just from what I read, it's meant to be like uh, making fun of bands putting secret tracks on, yeah. on albums. No, it's great. And yeah, and I don't know, it, it, there's not much information on this guy, Richard Peterson, but it just says he's a musician who was at the studio. Okay. And he sang it. Well, he did a great job. Yeah. Cool. yeah. He was probably singing jingles or something, mm. you know. Nice. Well, apparently, actually, going back to Brendan O'Brien again, um, there's interviews as well with Dean DeLeo where, because he was so in demand in those days, Brendan O'Brien, he'd be in the studio tracking a song and the next band would start loading the stuff in. <laughs> and they go, oh, we're meant to be here at five. They go, oh, okay, I'll just quickly finish this off. Yeah, he, um, I watched it. I think it was the Dave Friedman Tone Talk episode. That's right. Yeah. Leo, yeah. And he said he was tracking the solo to Still Remains and Pete Droge just like just started wheeling his wheeling gear his in. He's yeah. like, oh, hey, man. What's going on? <laughs> I guess I'm going like, to finish this now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's good. Classic. That's like a rehearsal studio. That's a classic rehearsal yeah. studio <laughs> situation. Yeah. yeah. Get the knock on the door. 10 minutes. Yeah, right. Almost there. Oh, start right. pack. Don't pack up at the end. Like on the hour. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> so a, any more standout tracks? Did oh, you, or, or just they, they, or they were the big ones. Uh, oh, Pretty Penny was cool too. I mean, yeah. I mean, That's the, so Led Zeppelin. That's so, so mm, Led Zeppelin. That's yeah. Really and, of course, the Unplugged. It ties into the Unplugged era. And, of course, that the album that you guys mentioned as well. And apparently they were just sitting around in the kind of the living room, well, the kind of where you hang out at the studio, like where you eat and sit around and stuff. Yeah. And they started playing it and it was kind of recorded on the fly. Okay. And I think there's a, someone did a video of it and there's a video of the actual recording of it, but then later they just overdubbed the chorus um, voice. And I think Scott Whelan just quickly scribbled out some words and it was sort of done very quickly in almost one take. Okay. Wow. Almost like a rehearsal kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. So, so for me, I mean, say, to me, it's just one of those. It's a, it's a complete album. It's to me, I, it's just great from start to finish. Um, I love the meat player just to start. That sort of heavy mm-hmm. riff to start the album off with. The really dissonant chords again, just all throughout, just the dissonance of the chords. Um, this, generally, the sound of the guitar. And we'll get into that with gear later on, but how to get the kind of heavy distortion, but still really good chord definition mm. uh, for those dissonant chords. The drums sound killer in it and on that album. Um, there's also later on, there's uh, in a few tracks, there's Mellotron and some uh, orchestration in it, which sounds really cool. Um, uh, the bass, if you if you listen to a lot of the stuff that Robert D'Elia does, just generally all the way through Stone Temple Pilots, very busy bass player, mm-hmm. but it's just it beautifully melodic player, and really I love his bass playing. And it's funny when you listen to the album, it sounds like a very almost kind of Motowny bass sound, okay. like very smooth, but in isolated, it's very distorted and very dirty sound. Um, but yeah, I mean, Interstate Love Song, one of my favorite. I reckon it's one of my favorite sort of pop rock songs ever. Such a great tune, um, so catchy. Mm. Um, it's almost too short that song too. It, it almost you know, yeah, like it you is. Always, it's almost over too soon. You don't want to stretch it when you're playing it live, but it feels like it needs, it needs more something. Yeah. So sometimes you'll play that little riff 
twice each time instead of the uh-huh. times when it only goes through once and, yeah. you know, try and stretch it that way. But, yeah, it feels like it's over so quickly. Yeah. yeah. I could have uh, 10 minutes of the intro. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> So good. The, the cool slide solo and stuff. Yeah. That's, like, that's excellent. Um, Loungefly, um, that's another one. I love that song. And there's a whole thing about uh, so Robert DeLeo, the bass player. He kind of had this idea in his head about doing backwards, a backwards loop. Uh-huh. So he played a couple of harmonics on an open tune 12 string guitar. And then they would run the tape backwards. Um, and then the drummer would come up with a melodic tom thing that goes along with it. And the whole song was kind of based around that. Um, cool. which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, they wanted to, for this album, um, they wanted to use studio trickery a lot more. They didn't just want to. But then I think Brennan O'Brien maybe talked them out of it a little bit. And anyway, but they, that was one, he just wanted to try this reverse loop thing. Yeah, okay. Um, it's uh, very, I, the reminder me, took me back to Aktung Baby a bit. A like the bit, yeah. layering of that song, yeah, you know. Yeah. The, the production, I think, is great on this album, mm-hmm. generally. Like, really well. And especially once you listen to some of the guitar parts and different speakers, you know, more pan to the left, more pan to the right, and yeah. you, get, you hear different things. Um, Pretty Penny, I love that song. And I love, sort of had sneaks from 6-8 to 9-8. Mm. Um, uh, Silver Gun Superman, like we said, that sort of cocktail, whatever it is, um, intro melody. Um uh, yeah, Kitchenware and Candy Bars, the last track before the Second secret album. song. Before that. Uh, <laughs> the cool orchestration, which I think some of it was a uh, Mellotron that Brennan O'Brien played. Um, yeah, uh, just I think it's just an, a good album all up. It's an everything is good. He literally has lift, listed every song. Every song. On the album. I just wrote something about every song because it's just all good. Um, That's a good sign. I'm giving I'm giving the viewers a behind the, oh, behind scenes, the scenes of Gabor Jessica. Yeah, because because uh, <laughs> Rob Rob and I are in the same room together for this recording, so um, um, I snuck I snuck over the border. He snuck over, he, yeah, dug a tunnel, uh, <laughs> hiding inside a wooden horse. Yeah, yeah. that's um, another callback. Well, should we should we take a quick break and then look at gear because there's a lot of gear. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, a comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cup. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. Welcome back to Iconic Albums. We're talking about STP's 94 hit, Purple, which Gabor has brought along to us tonight. Gabor, back to you. Uh, Yes, okay, so gear. Let's talk a little bit about the gear that was used. Um, So I want to briefly mention the bass gear uh, at the beginning because I I really like his bass sound. And funnily enough, we were talking, before we started recording, we were talking about Line 6 stuff. Uh, As you do. As you do. Uh, not on this album, but from the early 2000s onwards and up until now, um, Robert DeLeo, the bass player, uh, is using um, two Freyette, uh power amps, which is used to be VHD, now Freyette. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but with two bass pod pro rack mount units. So that's his, he uses them as a preamp. Oh, okay. That's, his, that's been his, his live thing for quite a while up until now, still, I guess, recently anyway. 
But for this particular album, he recorded most of Purple with a Schechter J bass um, and his live rig, which was three 2x12s, three 4x10, uh, so three 2x12 and four, uh, sorry, three 2x12 and three 4x10 Eden cabinets. So a lot of cabinets. Yeah. A lot of speakers there. A lot there. of speakers. Uh, and an Al- Alembic F1X preamp into a QSC MX1500 power amp. Um, that was sort of the, his main live rig. And uh, originally, when they sort of first went into the studio, Brandon, like I said before, Brandon O'Brien asked him to kind of bring their live rig in. Uh, for the guitar, that changed as the recording progressed. But with the bass, that was pretty much it. He, he may have also used his 66P bass on a few tracks. Um, uh, he also used an old 60s hollow body Limgar guitar on Pretty Penny. Uh, and he also did some um, double bass, uh, upright bass attempt on Pretty Penny as well, and for Big Empty. Um, and he used flat wounds on a lot of that stuff. Uh, yeah. So that's the bass gear out of the way, just for the in case some bass players are listening. Now the guitar gear. So basically, since um, since the very early '90s, since before Stone Temple Pilots, almost Dean DeLee has been using the same live rig, uh, and he still uses the same live rig. Which is basically a, a Demeter, is that how you pronounce it? Demeter mm-hmm. TGP3 oh, yeah. preamp uh, into a VHT2100 uh, classic power amp. And then he uses a Rockman MIDI Octopus uh, so you can channel switch. And he just, uh, up until recently, he used a Rockman MIDI switcher as well. But I think it fell apart because it was really old. And now he uses, <laughs> a, I think, a Mastermind. To, uh, RGM. RGM, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, but, I mean, that's been basically his, his live rig uh, for, for ages. So he has the, uh, the Demeter um, with the VHD Classic Power Amp, uh, and that runs into, I think back in the days, it was only going into one by uh, one quad box or 4x12. Now it goes into two 4x12s mm-hmm. in stereo. And in the middle, in between that, he uses a Vox AC30. And the AC30 is pretty much completely clean. So, um, okay, so hang on. So this is like a little quote I, I got from... So uh, I've been using the same setup, same rig since 1990. Every time we plug it in, it just sounds great. Uh, he put that VHT and a, a Demeter together and it really allowed him to make a lot of room for the three-piece, like a big sound. Um, uh, so run it stereo with two 4x12s um, and he also... So yes, yeah, so it's a three-channel amp, the Demeter, three-channel preamp, but he... he doesn't really use the first channel, which is a clean channel. Uh, he uses channels two and three, which are the distorted channels. Uh, channel two gives it a little more gain uh, and I get more mellow and less saturated by backing off the volume on the guitar. Um, but then he uses in between that, so he has a really quite distorted uh, two four by twelves. But then he has this AC30, which is set really clean, real chimey, gets a nice chimey mid stuff. And then the VHT uh, has got that big bottom and nice sizzly top. The AC30 is really there to capture the clarity of the chords. You'd be Uh, astounded when you turn that AC30 off. It's obvious right away something is really, really missing. It's very important for me to hear every string of the chord. Uh, There's a lot of interesting chords being played throughout the night. I wish I could tell you what they were. (laughs) Laughs, but I don't know. I just know what I want to hear and I get it. But that AC30 set real clean, one of the greatest amps, man. That's the quote. That's great. So that's how they get that note definition. Yeah, wow. They get a really thick, distorted sound, but then there's a totally clean amp in the middle there yeah, just to yeah. give the the attack. 
Uh, and so, uh, 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 but okay, so that's that's the that's what he first kind of rolled into the studio <laughs> when it's kind of uh, oh, and his pedal board at the time. So it was a Rockman MIDI switcher, a Boss CE1 chorus. Uh, at some stage throughout that, he got an SIB Vary drive, which is like, I think a valve distortion pedal, like a drive pedal, okay. preamp drive pedal, a Crybaby wire and a volume pedal. That's pretty much all he used pedal-wise. Um, he did also use a um, rack, um, where was it? God, this, um, anyway, it was like a rack, rack unit, but it mainly just used it for reverbs. Um, so, but... They started off, he started off using that, but then Brendan O'Brien apparently is a bit of a gear head as well and had lots of gears sitting around in the studio. So through, as they were recording, he started using a lot of uh, Brendan O'Brien's small amps that were sitting around. Um, he only really used the big Marshalls in the end, the big Marshall 4x12s for two songs. <coughs> uh, on nearly every song, there's a little 50 Supro with a 10-inch speaker. It goes only about as loud as we're talking right now. So you can totally wind it up. It has a volume knob and a tone knob. You can put them. You can put it up to ten, uh, and then we just wind out some tellies through that. Um, uh, core he used mainly tellies and a Les Paul, but on this album he primarily used his fifty-seven or fifty-eight Les Paul Special, which is like a Les Paul Junior, but with yeah. the two the two um, P90s instead of the one. That's the Rob's. Go, go That's game, man. Yeah. Uh, with the single cut, which you can see in the Interstate Love song clip, okay. TV Yellow. That's the one he sort of he used for most of it. But he said he uh, he uh, did a lot of overdubs with his '67 Sunburst Telly. Uh, almost every song has two guitars on it. We layered. Um, what was it? I oh, got that just moved. Uh, um, they layered a lot of tracks uh, to get a lot of interesting tones and introduce different parts and different things. Um, uh, between Mikey and Brendan's, we had around 40 guitars and 30 different amps. Whoa. We tried a lot of nutty, pretty nutty combinations. Interstate Love Song is the Supro with two different tellies. In Army Ants, we beat two amps. One side was an old Leslie speaker. The other side had a Maestro face shifter effect, and I was playing an old Vox Mando guitar. Sometimes it used to Gibson 335. The slide part at the beginning of Interstate Love Song was played on a Hofner guitar shaped like a McCartney Hofner bass. Mm. Loungefly is an open D minor tuning. Robert plays most of the guitar on that. I played the solo and Paul Leary of the Battle Surface does the solo at the end. Strangling that thing. <laughs> uh, but we stayed away from effects. It was just guitar, chords and amps. Um, so yeah, so it started off quite simple and then it got I think they just started nerding out over all the gear that was there and trying out different things yeah um acoustic guitars uh, there was a 12 string that his guitar tech Kevin Zazara built when he was going to Lutheran school in Arizona it's possibly the best sounding 12 string I've ever heard I'm just throwing one of those Dean Markley Pro Mag pickups in the sound hole putting the signal through an acoustic preamp and dialing it in nothing fancy also trying a number of different Martins and Gil and a Guild so that's that sort of was on. I think they didn't. The acoustics was sort of an afterthought. Yeah. Uh, but sort of the main guitars he's been he played live throughout that time was a '78 Black Les Paul Standard, uh, and he had it rewired so he can run the two pickups out of phase for out of phase sounds. Uh, he also used a '77 uh, Les Paul Standard in wine red, and then he had a '78 Les Paul Standard in sunburst, and then that '57 '58 single cut. Um, Les Paul Special in TV Yellow. And then he also used, and it's a bit of a mystery, there's a vintage white kind of yellow telly with a big speed that he plays in a Vaseline clip. 
which he kind of used on a, on some of the um, recordings as well. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, that's it. it. It's just interesting how they kind of went from his kind of simple setup, which he still uses, but then it yeah. turned into this massive, let's just use whatever's there and let's experiment with stuff. Uh, so that's the gear. Very yeah, cool. I definitely remember him, like the black Les Paul and the wine red, like you'd see those Live, two. Live, that's the two that he used most right of the lot, time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he bought that. Um, there's another little quote. So the first Les Paul I got was my Sunburst, which I bought brand new at Manny's on October 29th, 1978. Hmm. And for some reason, every Les Paul that stepped into my life was a 78, except for my hmm. special, which is a 57, but then it's, it says 58 in Psalm 57. Uh, I just got that prior to making the Purple album. I used it on a lot of that album. Um, Interstate Love Song is that guitar in my Sunburst uh, telly and he bought that guitar around about the same time I guess he got some um, they were quite I mean the second album there was a lot of pressure on them as well because the first album did quite well even though the media wasn't too happy about it but I guess there was a lot of record company pressure as well to sure. kind of follow up album yeah. Um, yeah so is there anything uh, you guys want to add to all that or no, like oh, any, I, any I think you and facts? I watched all the same, like the Tone Talk videos <laughs> yeah, yeah. and all those sorts of things. And um, there was a couple of, I just typed, you know, Stone Temple Pilots interview, 1994, yeah. DeLeo interview. Yeah. And um, no, I just remember trying to get those guitar sounds live mm. was really difficult at the time. Like I think I was using a 5150 combo, yeah. Well, yeah. which is quite big and ballsy, yeah. but the that whole thing of mixing the guitar so the the Les Paul with the Telecaster yeah. you kind of that's where that chorusing sort of sound comes yeah. from because they're just yeah. sort of they're not the phase alignment isn't obviously not going to be perfect no. and just doubling with those two different you're getting this harmonic spectrum and, and you're getting that yeah the left and right panning there's a lot and, of panning going on you yeah. can really hear what guitars on what side quite often if yeah you to that. and because I'm not at home I've had to listen to these. It, with my little iPhone earbuds and it's not quite as you don't get the, full the thing, listening yeah. experience. But, um, yeah, it was it was really eye-opening to just go and try and remember, oh, yeah, getting those guitar sounds is not the easiest thing to do. No. And it's that whole trio approach, you know, like there seems to be in the previous episode where we talked about Van Halen, that's a trio, yeah. you know, and it's one guitar and one bass and these guys, how they layering things to create that and then like so live did they ever go out with another guitar player or no, did the live stuff just sound a bit more stripped back it i think it was just a little bit more stripped back but yeah. i think that's why they did the whole running in stereo and you know yeah, so right, just to okay. get make it big um as big as possible um but yeah i love his i love his guitar sound it's such a cool thick guitar. and and just uh, Knowing if I would have known back then that he used a completely clean amp, mm. um, mm. amongst a really thick, fat distortion, just to get that attack and you can hear every note. Well, that's but a big I thing have known now. That then. <laughs> yeah, that's a big thing now, right? With the with a lot of overdrive pedals and distortion pedals, so have they got the, the, the clean blend, blend yeah. or you know, even back to the hot cakes and things like and the a TS. They do mix in yeah. the direct signal to yeah. get that, it's and part of the, I think there was just recently someone just did a video. Um, one of the regular YouTubers, your competition mate. Sorry, I was nah, watching. Boo, I'll watch you boo. too. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, I think it was um, 
uh, Pierce. What's his name? Tim Pierce. Tim Pierce. Pierce. Oh, well, I mean, he, I can't, I can't come yeah, with Tim Pierce. He said, like, <laughs> here's the here's the track. Like, try and tell the tracks apart. The one that mixes the clean signal in the yeah. overdrive, and the other one that's just a straight overdrive. Yeah. And you could tell straight away, like the one that mixes the clean signal in it. Yeah, the voicings of the chords come you out and actually it. sounds yeah. bigger. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Gabor, can I ask, are, um, are the Delios doing stuff now? Are they still doing STP yeah. with other singers? or? Yeah, well, I mean, they are po- possibly one of the most cursed bands ever, oh, I've got to say. Yeah, my God. Because, I mean, Scott Whelan, sadly, I think it was 2015. Yeah, 3rd of de- December 2015, overdosed and died. Um, then they had um, Chester, whatever. Bennington. Bennington from oh, um, really? oh, Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park. Too. Oh, man. He was singing for a while and he, he committed suicide. Yeah. Uh, and now they've got a guy called Jeff Gutt, um, who was the runner up on the 2013 US X Factor. Okay. Um, he sings for them right now. And uh, apparently uh, they did, uh, there was an interview I watched again with the DeLeo brothers and um, they did. Almost open edition for uh, for a singer. Yeah, I was going to send in a tape, and I just never got around oh, yeah. to it. <laughs> and he said they got because it's all videos. He said, and he said, "There's man, some of the staff is just you know, wow." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My mom sent- tells me I can sing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they asked but for so it. apparently, this guy Jeff Gart, he he. he uh, he, I think he sings in a metal band or something as well. But he went on to X Factor and became a runner-up mm-hmm. and. In 2013, and apparently, uh, what they said, I don't think I've really seen much of him with Stone Temple Pilots, but apparently, he really suits it well and fits in really, really well. Yeah, cool. And they were just about to go on another tour as COVID hit, as things are. But I think they're getting ready now to go on tour. Okay. Um, now that things are kind of opening up again, yeah. Um, so they're still they're still doing it, and I think they were still working on albums. Um, they released quite a. F- Few albums post Scott Wheeland. Um, they had, I think, one or two with Chester. Mm-hmm. One maybe with Chester. I, I I didn't get any of that, but I did listen to the last one that came out one time through during COVID. But um, kind of didn't stick. Kind in the similar way that Alice in Chains with the new singer. New like not I, quite the same. I yeah. got that first record, but I haven't really ever revisited it outside of that first couple of weeks of listening. I, th- I think Scott Whelan, he, it's just such a hard guy to replace because, mm. I mean, he was such a, like, personality as well, but just such a great frontman and, and singer and, and his phrasing and just everything about, you know, it, he was just quite unique. And I think to replace someone like that, it's quite hard. I mean, they're, they're amazing band, killer band, yeah. and great songwriters. Mm. Um, uh, I think, I mean, Robert DeLeo, I think, is sort of the, one of the main writers, but Dean writes as well. So Robert is a bass player. Dean writes a bit as well. And I think on this album, Scott Whelan started writing some of the songs okay. as well. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's hard to kind of do it with someone else. Sure. Um you know, getting older too and, and yeah. Sure. Well, man, Purple, great record. Thanks for bringing it along, yeah. Gabor. Really want, hey, you want some out. fun facts? Fun facts. Oh, you got Rome. fun I'm facts. I'm fun facts I do. I, I've already touched on a couple of them, but um, with the Big Empty, how it was written the year before, yeah. but it featured on the soundtrack for The Crow. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we all know what happened. Speaking of tragedy, yeah, Brandon Lee 
uh, during maybe, the filming of that. Hey, yeah, it could be them. It's them. It's probably them. Um, da, 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 da. Yep, oh, we touched on that one. Uh, Vaseline. So in an interview with Scott Wayland, he revealed that the key line in the song came from a misheard lyric. His parents put on the song Life in the Fast Lane and Waylon thought they were singing Flies in the Vaseline. <laughs> oh, cool. I'll never hear that Eagles tune the same again. Yeah. <laughs> Flies in Vaseline. Um, <laughs> uh, Kevin Kerslake directed Vaseline and the Interstate Clips, but he's also directed music videos and concert films for the likes of Nirvana, Bush, R.E.M., the Stones, Green Day, Faith No More, Smashing Pumpkins, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Velvet Revolver, Lana Del Rey, wow. and he most recently directed the 2018 Joan Jet doco called Bad Reputation. Wow. Um, Stone Temple Pilots were originally called Mighty Joe Young. Yeah. And it, they had all the artwork for Core done, yeah. ready to go. And they've got a phone call saying, oh, there's this old blues singer called Mighty <laughs> Joe Young. You can't use the name. Wow. So they couldn't think of a name and it de- delayed the release of Core by eight weeks. Yeah. Um, and then they finally just saw the STP oil sticker. The sticker. Yeah, and said, yeah. wouldn't it be great if we could come up with a name and then just people called us STP. So they went through and through and through <laughs> before they came up with um, yeah, it's great name. Up with the name Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I had a few other fun facts, but we actually went through them through earlier. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. It was a, <laughs> it was during a conversation. It wasn't, yeah, no, I put in the, the Pete George. The, I don't want to steal the fun facts, Thunder. No, you didn't because I got the boss and overcourt thing in oh, and true, the yeah, Pete yeah. George thing in and the, uh, the early release of Big Empty. So yeah. Big Empty almost also won the MTV Movie Award for the best song from a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. So, yeah, there are all the fun facts with Rob. I don't boom. going to make it longer. One. Nice one. Great <laughs> record. Thank you, Gabor, for bringing Purple along. Rob, Thank you. Rob, when you're not writing uh, fun facts, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Where can we find out about Ooh, you? Well, it's just fun all around at this end. Um, yeah, Living in the 70s uh, is my main gig. It's uh, It's for all the boomers out there. Well, I'm keeping them. Keeping them going, keeping them dancing. Uh, living in the 70s live on Facebook. It's all out there. Very good, very good. And you do it well. You do Thanks, it well. Man. Gabor, when you're not um, working out densely voiced chord voicings <laughs> through multi-amp rigs, what are you doing, man? Uh, well, that's what I do most of the time. But um, <laughs> if you really want to hear me talk uh, and see me talk uh, more, people out there, uh, why not go to YouTube and type in the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show, all one word, or just go super fun, awesome, you kind of, all one word, you'll find it. Uh, and that's me, uh, myself, and I, and my friend, all my personalities, and my friend Alex, <laughs> and we review guitar gear, so pedals and uh, amps and guitars and all that sort of stuff. And we sneak, I sneak the odd Stone Temple Pilots riff into some demos every once in a while. Very good. And other riffs uh, from the 90s as well. So, uh, yeah, if you want to watch that, uh, check it out. And that's when he gets demonetized. Well, that's, I <laughs> don't, say, don't even say that. Haven't yet. Haven't yet. All right, fellas, thanks for another great iconic albums. I'll catch you next week. Yeah, we'll see you then. Bye.
All right, thanks for joining us for another Guitar Speak podcast, Iconic Albums. I've really enjoyed putting these conversations together with Rob and Gabor, and it's been a really cool addition to our podcast show, which uh, every week has deep dive one-on-one interviews as well. That's been our bread and butter for the last five years, and that will be continuing as well. Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, German guitarist from UFO, The Scorpions and MSG. Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.